Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Welcome to the pre-play-in locker room. Uh, Dumped on live. Nate and I are here to answer your questions. And our uh, our first speaker request is uh, Dr. Disrespect. Doctor, you are on the air. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, I was wondering what you guys thought uh, the Trailblazers' chances are in getting past the Nuggets here. I think I'm going to pick them in – I might actually pick them in seven, even though they're they're on the road. Reprise of 2019. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I did an extended conversation with Adam Morris on uh, Real Jam Radio a couple weeks ago. We talked about how Denver's biggest challenge are point guards that can turn the corner. And Lillard, you know, he doesn't always have to. Sometimes he just pulls up instead of turning the corner. But he's going to be a challenge for them. Um, I do think that Jokic is going to give Nurkic a lot of trouble. My instinct, I, I think I'm probably more bullish on the Nuggets than Nate is, but I don't, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to pick them. I'm really torn on it. But yeah, this ended up being a, a really good scenario for the Portland Trailblazers. And I mean, just in many ways, it was just the Lakers beating the Pels that made it happen because that's what switched the tiebreaker. But yeah, I think they should be pretty happy about where they are. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I was just thinking, okay. you know, yeah, um, just overall, like the matchups, Lillard and McCollum are going to feast against them. And, you know, Gordon and uh, they're just better at guarding forwards and centers. And they are going to have a hard time guarding the Blazers backcourt, I feel like. This series is going to be a ridiculous offense, offensive series, I think. Uh, you know, the Blazers don't really have anyone to guard Michael Porter Jr. And, you know, Nurkic, I think, does an okay job on Jokic, but it, it, he struggles to get on his pick and pop game and these teams have a lot of experience against each other maybe that's the only reason why it wouldn't just go crazy offensively but let's not forget too that blazers team had al Aminu and rodney hood and mo harkless now they've got norm powell and covington which is a much different from a shooting standpoint and i would say dame and cj are better now than they were back then even so yeah, I just I wonder how the Nuggets are gonna guard this Blazers team, and there's no Gary Harris coming to save Denver necessarily, and Denver still has like a ton of injury issues uh, as well. I mean, Will Barton is still out, right, Danny? We haven't seen anything on Barton. Monte Morris is back, which helps, but yeah. not necessarily as a ton on the defensive end. But yeah, the, I mean Barton would be an important part of that series, and we have we don't have a, a timeline on him at all, or on Dozier. Dozier less important, but still, you know, yeah. Probably. Well, he, yeah, he might be the guy who could have maybe put out the fire a little bit defensively for them so you know i think this series could look a lot like those first few games of the utah series last year now the difference being that there's no rudy gobert on the other side so uh, i would expect denver to score as well and Jokic, yeah maybe the best player in this series but dame could easily outplay him i think so it's going to be absolutely fascinating, but it should it should be a lot of fun. Of course, it's like, you know, it gets to the worst time slot, the late Saturday game. But yeah, I, mean, I would say that these teams, to me, these might actually be, right now, the two worst teams in the West playoffs matching up for each other, assuming that the Warriors and the Lakers qualify. 
not saying that for yeah, that, a thousand possible. percent sure, but I, I think, and you know, these teams always seem to sort of benefit from these seeding things and then <laughs> and they end up playing each other again too. It's, it's pretty funny. Well, thank you for the question. And we will go on. Uh, Philip, Philip, you are on the air. Can you guys hear me? Yes. I'm really sorry I had to ask that. Ruining the podcast. <laughs> uh, I talked to you guys. I talked to you guys last week about uh, some King stuff about Marvin. Bagley. I recall. I just listened to a. I just listened to a press conference. Uh, Monty McNair just gave where he announced Luke Walton will be coming back as the coach, and I I immediately needed to call like a therapist. I don't know what to do. I don't feel like it's a good idea. What do you guys think about that? And what do you think about how coaches can affect actual defenses? strategy and what could change with somebody new well so what's interesting is it does seem like the players were motivated at least at the end of the year to play for luke walton like that's there are a couple different ways that coaches can be troublesome and one of them is that and it seemed like they were the players were bought in um it is concerning just because it, like, i mean with the read sam amix piece get, got into this about like you know how much money it would cost luke walton maybe this is vivek ranadive choosing that over it but if the players are, are on board and and a lot of what coaches do defensively and i mean luke walton to his credit i mean did this to an extent when he was the lakers head coach and when he was interim with the warriors is getting guys to try and i thought sacramento's personnel on defense was broadly pretty weak you saw that in when the non rashawn holmes minutes is what i would say so i don't i don't think luke walton is like a value-add coach pretty for sure i don't know how negative he is but i also don't think he elevated their personnel too much so yeah, I mean, that does limit the excitement for next year to be sure, um, especially if it seems like at least a part of the reason was because was financial, you know, like practical limitations of ownership. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be thrilled about it for that reason. But I don't think of Walton in the like, let's call it the Jason Kidd Bucks camp where it's like, oh, this guy's killing the team, though they're. I mean, and Nate can get into this if he wants to. Like, there are ways that a different coach could change this team. Yeah, there was some crazy. There was a stat I just read. He is the second most wing, winningest coach for the Kings since Rick Adelman. Amazing. And I was just putting that into perspective. As I feel like some of the trauma the Kings fans have is just that things do keep changing, and even if you don't change something with somebody that might not be the best option, it still is like, is this culture? I don't know, but it, it's worth a try, I suppose. Well, yeah. So, Luke, uh, I. I ranked him 28th out of 30 coaches and Hollinger also yeah, had him, yeah, had him pretty low and they're the 30th ranked defense and yes they had some issues in terms of their personnel but I don't think they should have been 30th in the league defensively and they'll probably get some regression in the mean it won't be as bad next year you would think but my theory of coaches is when you know that the coach that you have isn't a value add you should move on from him and so in addition to the financial concerns and Amix reporting about how they can't stretch his contract out if they fire him and the king supposedly lost a bunch of money which i'm sure they did although i also think they're likely overstating that uh and also you know ron adive he doesn't just own the entire team outright he's got a lot of minority owners and he's good probably has had to ask them for a bunch of cash calls as well they never have really been particularly disposed towards him well disposed towards him there, there have been these various stories about rebellions and so victor or victor holy shit vivek ranadive does not <laughs> does not want to have to go to them and say hey put up some more cash which he may already have had to do during this pandemic so 
that could be a bit part of this as well for mcnair maybe if he had gone to vivek and said look luke walton is terrible i absolutely demand that he be fired i want to bring in my own guy maybe he could have gotten that done but for a guy who's just started who wants to keep his job for a while who knows that this team is not like crazy ready to win anyway who knows that luke walton can be a very convenient excuse later for potential failures why are you going to go to Vivek right now and say, I demand that you fire Luke Walton when another coach is probably not going to get you into the playoffs anyway, frankly. So it's much, they always say, I think Hollinger said this, Danny has talked about it too, of how if you have a coach once the gm fires his first coach then he's on the clock so why move that timeline up if you're mcmarrett so a ton of reasons not a lot of them based on making the sacramento kings the best basketball team they can be in the 2021 season are leading to luke walton sticking around it it would seem yeah that's what it really seemed like and by all accounts he's been he's a player's coach and people like him and they were trying hard at the end of the season with a bunch of people they just picked up at the deadline so yeah i'm just going in with the best of hopes and hopefully someday sacramento isn't like a country that is getting the pop culture from america like 10 years after the fact and we actually like are, are relevant <laughs> so thank you for talking thanks for taking time to talk about the kings we really appreciate oh it yeah here. absolutely um a quick thing from the pacers scott agnes also has it too um malcolm brogdon demontis Sabonis, and edmund sumner are all available for today's game not surprisingly miles turner tj warren are out aaron holiday also available uh, we can get to uh, Lance. Lance, you are on the air. Lance? Hey, I can hear you now. Excellent. A, a quick question on the uh, Hawks and Knicks. So Julius Randle has destroyed the Hawks all year long, every time they've played. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping for a little bit better out of the Hawks uh, this go-round. Uh, so kind of a two-parter. What would be the optimal way to defend Julius Randle? And if you're uh, Nate McMillan, what would you do uh, to try to slow him down a little bit? Yeah, I talked about this pretty extensively with Brad Roland of Lockdown Hawks today. That, that pot, I don't know when he's bringing that out. I imagine it'll be either tonight or, or tomorrow morning but it's a difficult situation deandre hunter sounds like he's probably going to be on a minutes limit i think he only played in the first of the two matchups um he would seem to be the best guy but then where do you put john collins i would actually consider starting off with hunter on randall and then putting john collins on alfred payton and having collins just help off of payton at least with the starters uh and i think then at the end of games, I might consider actually going with Clint Capella on Julius Randle and have Collins hide out on Noel or Taj Gibson. And Clint Capella, I I haven't seen all of those games to know how much Capella guarded Randle. I don't think it was very much. Uh, and you don't want him doing that the entire game and tiring him out. You want him to be able to protect the rim and rebound and stuff. But when you know they're just going to go to that Randle ISO at the end, I think Capella could be a pretty good matchup one-on-one uh, -on -one against Randle. He's got experience in a switching system, has been asked to do that much this year but I, I do think Julius Randle can have a, a pretty nice series against the Hawks and a, a lot of it just needs to come from being more locked in I would say that you really want to if you're guarding Julius Randle particularly if you're DeAndre Hunter uh that you really want to sit on Randle's step back force him to drive and then get some help off those Knicks non-shooters rather than letting Randall go to his step back game at the end of the game in particular if you're Capella maybe you feel like you can contain a little bit more use your length and, and make those jumpers more difficult so that's about all, all I got there would you add anything there Danny or uh well so I'll give the numbers on Randall's three games against the Hawks this year average 37 points 
12 rebounds, seven assists, um, 73% true shooting on 33 usage, um, took 26 threes, made 13 to 26 in those three games. So that's, that's a high volume. And yeah, I, I don't remember my memory is not as encyclopedic. I don't even remember how many of those I watched live. Um, but personnel could end up being a big factor. And remember, like for both of these teams, which is going to be so interesting when you think about their histories, the changes from the regular season to the playoffs, because you very rarely have a specific, whether it's a single player or a team specific game plan in the regular season. Like it just, it's too much to ask for the coaching staff and everything else. You're going through things so quickly, but that is what the playoffs are all about. So what of the things that went well, can either of these teams take away? And then how do you counter punch? And I think that is a, it is a fundamental difference that sometimes that's something that Nate and I look at a lot when we're evaluating players and their playoff viability but it's also something to think about in terms of when a regular season stuff is less representative. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case here, though I think that having a specific game plan for the Knicks because of their limited shooting at other spots could change things for them. But RJ Barrett shooting so much better recently helps. Yeah, that, that's interesting. The part about trying to stash John Collins on uh, Alfred Payton is really interesting because I, I kind of wonder where in the world you stash Trey if you go if you try to hide John on on Alfred Payton. Probably, probably Reggie Bullock, I think. Yeah, I, I guess if he if he's not moving around too much, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It, it's uh from from what I saw, uh, uh, Randall kind of had his way with Collins mostly, and Collins just isn't laterally quick enough to to handle yeah. him, off the dribble especially. And I want and I worry the same thing about Capella. I, I almost feel like it's uh, DeAndre Hunter or bust to kind of take away his airspace and he's probably the only guy laterally quick enough and strong enough at the same time uh to stay with him bogey might be a, an interesting play at times as well i think he's he's actually underrated strong I've, I've actually been really impressed with him this year i saw him stand up rolo in the post when they were uh not too long ago when they were playing the wizards and i was like holy crap bogey just stood up rolo and didn't didn't let him back him down so uh it's uh I think they have a couple of options, but I almost think they'd be better off going small because, well, if, if Randall is shooting the crap out of the ball, like he did the, the few times the Hawks played where they were just, he was launching into step backs and, and, and it was not even hit the rim. It was, it was pretty amazing to watch. If, if he's having one of those games, maybe there's nothing you can do other than just immediate double. But uh, I appreciate your thoughts on it. Is there an optimal way to defend him? Like if, if you had any defender in the league uh, at your disposal, who would be the guy that could kind of take him away? Probably, probably Draymond uh, or, or actually a, yeah. a, AD. AD actually locked him up pretty good. Ooh, because then you get the you, you yeah. Because then he's a little I mean, taller. they tried they and... tried to ISO him uh, as well. Also, something that they haven't run that much the Knicks that I would like to see more of is Randall handling the ball, targeting Trey Young in pick and roll. Yes, I think that's something that they can yeah. get into a little bit more. That we I was I'm surprised how little Tibbs has actually done that, but you would imagine that's something they would try to put into their package. No, I, I agree. The reason he hadn't done it is probably because he didn't need to because <laughs> Randall was killing him with everything else he was already doing, just hitting step backs all over the floor. Yeah, Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress 
that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. And things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us all right thanks a lot for that one uh who's next here danny ahmed ahmed you are on the air oh ahmed is gone uh, if you pop back in i will put you on uh joe you're on the air you're muted joe yep um i wanted to get y'all's thoughts on the lonzo ball situation with the pelicans i think it's pretty unique uh, with how up and down he's been this past season, um, with him being like a theoretical good fit around Zion, uh, and also with them having promising other young guards in Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis. And I was wondering what you guys think the Pelicans should do and how much they should be prepared to pay him or match to retain the asset versus letting him walk or like a sign-and-trade or something. Yeah, I would be loath to lock into something with him that was much above 20 million per season and even even then I would be a little skeptical I'd be probably my number one idea would be just exploring sign and trade possibilities with him if there's a team like the Bulls that really wants him or the Knicks that's willing to give up a draft pick for the right to pay him 
a big contract. I, I would be very interested in doing that. If you can bring him back on a contract that you think is tradable later, I think that's useful because they are trying to get better next year and he is a player who helps them. I know that they still have Alexander Walker as well. I, I think Josh Hart, though, in, maybe you can make the argument that he could help more, but then it depends what his price tag is as well. And they've only got about $35 million below the tax to bring back uh both of those guys uh, unless they do something with eric bledsoe which maybe they will um and they've also got these extra first rounders that they might try and move also but to me locking in for 20 million for lonzo who yeah he's like a nice fit he's okay but just it's hard for me to see him being your third best player and you're paying him really like being your third best player. Like, like is he your third best player on a good team? Like, they, they need someone who can run a little bit more pick and roll than Lonzo can. He's gotten a little better at that, but he's still not going to be a huge threat there. And it would also be nice if they had someone who could be more of a lockdown guy on the perimeter, which Lonzo, he's okay defensively, but he's not really an individual great defender so his fit is like pretty good i agree with you but it's also just like man do you, is this what you want to pay for now if they weren't paying steven adams and eric bledsoe next year a bunch of money then maybe it would be better and then there's the situation with hart uh, as well and what their evaluation of Nikhil alexander walker is whether they feel like Nikhil could step in and give them a reasonable facsimile of lonzo which he hasn't really been able to do so far in his career so it, it is a difficult situation but i just think yeah you don't want to lose the asset for nothing but and locking into Lonzo at 23 million dollars a year like where are you going with that well he, here's the way that I'll phrase it let's say it's 20 million a year and I mean there's a possibility that it goes higher than that what are the odds that that let's say in 2022 like if let's say they wanted to move him at the deadline or in that offseason what are the odds that that is a positive contract a neutral contract or a negative and while the cap rising at some point will help and it'll make a lot of contracts look better my inclination is let's say it's a 20 million a year average that 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 a year in that looks more like a negative value contract than a positive value one especially when you consider that most other teams don't have a zion williamson that lonzo would look as good next to so i would be loath i'd be skeptical and i'm more of a lonzo optimist than nate is but he doesn't fit everywhere and even though the next couple point guard classes are pretty weak especially if you're looking for young dudes it's hard and the pelicans as nate said have put so they they have so much money on their books that it gets difficult so david griffin's in a tough spot that's part of what happened when he traded for all these guys that were about to get raises um in the ad trade not that i you know the overall return was very good it was just that's one one downside of it so it'll be a really challenging calculus and so i, I agree with nate if there's a team also if there's a team that likes lonzo enough to give up a draft pick for him then that's probably a team that um would pay him more money than you want to pay him like that's just kind of the way these things often work out yeah i'd have to agree with nate i don't know if i would go above 20 i wonder if they could work out a deal a little bit less than 20 and then do kind of like a buddy healed thing where it's declining and it becomes a better asset the farther or a better relative asset hmm. the farther along in the contract it is um but uh, from Griff's press conferences last week, uh, he was talking about focusing on shooting. Uh, and he, I don't know if he used the exact phrase, learning his lesson, or but promising stuff, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I didn't see that one, actually. I have to go read read a recap of it. Um, been, it was his uh, year-end press Yeah, week. yeah, I've been focusing so much on playoff prep, I, I haven't been able to keep up that much on some of the uh, the, the stuff, the, this uh, exit interview stuff, a, a lot of which is, uh, is quite interesting. Um, okay, should we move on, Danny? Yeah, let's Thanks, do it. Thank you. Um, next up is Kyle. Kyle, you are on the air. 
Hi, gentlemen. I have a question about <clears throat> the potential fate of the eight seed, and it's a bit of a comparative watch. Okay. So who do you think has, uh, which do you think has better odds? The Warriors knocking off the Jazz or, or, or the Jazz knocking off the Lakers? Oh, Jazz knocking off the Lakers, I would say. Well, well. Jazz Lakers, but, but no what? Well, so, so let me ask you this question, because this came up actually in my chat earlier today uh, for Dunktown Prime members. Are we talking about the Lakers and the Jazz meeting in the conference finals or is in the 1-8? I meant in the 1-8. Okay. So, like, this is basically whoever gets the 8 seed. Do you think, are, you know, I think it's kind of an obvious answer that, yeah, it's more likely that the number one seed Jazz would win. But what are, like, the relative odds that you would give each team of pulling off what would be potentially an upset, depending on your point of view? Yeah, so Warriors... Uh, you know because it's interesting right like if the lakers lose to the warriors then you're kind of like i mean it's only one game but you're kind of like hmm, maybe like lebron isn't totally right and the jazz are really well rested the jazz have their own health issues uh, of course with uh with donovan mitchell potentially we haven't heard anything about th that he's going to be coming back they say it was a, a mild sprain but he's been out for like a month now so uh, i'm not sure uh, how to feel about that and whether he's going to be 100 percent that they'll desperate particularly again I think the Lakers, they're really going to need him uh, to be awesome bombing from the outside and giving them some one-on-one -on -one play. So, yeah, I mean, I would say Lakers 40%, Warriors 17%. I was thinking 15 for the Warriors. Um, Lakers, I mean, yeah, so Nate gets into an interesting one, which is that if the Lakers play the Jazz, that means they lost to the Warriors, um, but then beat the Grizzlies or the Spurs. Not as notable an accomplishment, let's say. Um the challenge for me with with Utah against against the Lakers is just that like where's the where the, the Lakers aren't necessarily the greatest switching defense but they can switch when they need to and so like where where are the Jazz going to get buckets and Utah as as great as Rudy Gobert is like they don't have the personnel to stop the Lakers so I think I'd go Lakers forty maybe like maybe that's like a 50-50 series for me depending on what we'd see yeah that forty point. is probably too low I'll adjust it to forty five I think the Jazz home court is going to matter as well oh yeah and my yeah. well and the Lakers not starting out that series fully healthy I mean whatever LeBron is doing he's not a hundred percent whatever percent he is what we'll i mean this is granted it would have been a little bit more awesome if you didn't have denver portland in the four or five but uh, like denver dallas i think would have been a much more interesting series to me but oh yeah. can i say a quick thing i had forgotten about the nuance of the tiebreaker so i spent most of sunday like that late late slot thinking it was going to be denver dallas and was very excited and then realized it and got depressed <laughs> i mean that'll be a, a fun series denver portland in and of itself but it's just neither of sure those. i i'd like to you know have but i mean the lakers playing either the suns or the jazz i mean that's gonna be awesome uh the the warriors i think play, playing either of those series if they make it it will be awesome that it's it's pretty pretty exciting in the West. I mean, all those series, I'm mean, very interested. Actually, probably Clippers Dallas is the one I'm least interested to see at this point. We kind of know how that movie ends, and I think Dallas actually is worse this year than they were last year coming into the bubble with Porzingis healthy. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's it. Do you, do you see it any differently, Kyle, in terms of the Lakers' chances? No, I mean, I personally, after watching LeBron James dominate all these years, I would definitely have the Lakers heavy favorites as long as, he, uh, you know, he doesn't look literally like injured. 
<clears throat> but anyways, what's important to me is that the Warriors are going to knock off the Lakers tomorrow <laughs> and it'll all be worth it for that. Yeah, I mean, if they play, I would probably pick that series in seven if it's Suns Warriors. Uh, it pro- it's probably Suns in seven, but I, I think Phoenix's defense lately is not looking good. And and I, but I think the Suns will be healthier with a full week off. Yeah. Than they than they are. We'll have to take. I think injuries have played a factor in that. But uh, thank you so much to Kyle for the question. Let's go to Ido. Ido, you are on the air. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Great. Thanks. Um, I actually also have sort of a comparative thing. Maybe you can do it a lot for it or whatever. But if the Warriors beat the Lakers. Who do you think has a better chance of getting to the finals between the Lakers and the Bucks, considering the matchups that they would have to face on the way? Yeah, so that would be Jazz, Clippers, and then probably... Well, no, it'd be Jazz. It'd be Jazz Nuggets Blazers winner. Oh yes, they, the, that's wait, the four or five. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you're right. Yeah, the uh, that's right. Yeah, Clippers are are no, the Clippers are the are the four or five. Oh, you're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Sorry, I was. It's that's the Blazers. Yeah. Wow. This, this this West seating really is messing <laughs> messing with you. Uh. Yeah. So yeah, it would be <laughs> they would have to beat Jazz Clippers and then I don't know Phoenix I guess or or, or Golden yeah. State um or you know one of Denver or Portland shit who knows uh, at that point but. Um, yeah, well, that would, that would be completely insane if uh, the Lakers fall to eight and you've got Jazz, Lakers, Clippers, Dallas, which might be, that could possibly be, that's four of the five best teams, probably, you would say, all on one side of the bracket. That's uh, that's pretty insane. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, sorry, I totally lost the thread of the question here. So it's the idea is would the Lakers or the Bucks be more likely to make it to win their conference? Um, probably got to say the Lakers because I think when healthy, I think the Lakers, there's a credible argument for them being the best team. And I don't, I think the Lakers <laughs> argument for being the best team is better than the Bucks argument for being the best team in their conference. And I would say that their paths would be similarly difficult. So I would probably have to go Lakers there. But I mean, obviously, again, if they lose to the Warriors, maybe that means LeBron's not great. And my my working assumption is that LeBron is going to be maybe kind of limited in the same way that Steph Curry was in 2016. Like that that kind of a degradation in performance is the most likely. But he could also just be LeBron James and kill everyone again, too. You just there's there's no way to know. It's what's making this playoff so exciting. It's it's just there's so many crazy variables. Thank, thanks for anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. 
Touch to Edo for the question. Uh, let's move on to Seth. Seth, you are on the air. And Seth, you are muted. Uh, so I was wondering, I had a question about the Wizards and Bradley Beal. Uh, I saw David Aldridge's piece, and he's, you know, it was pretty obvious he's playing through an injury. And I was wondering what you thought about his decision to play through that injury for this game, or in what you maybe would have done in his position, and what you think about, like, the team's role in managing stars playing through injury. Yeah, he said at the presser on Monday that he thinks he probably shouldn't have played. Now, does that mean that he's gonna not play when he's in the exact same position tonight like of course not right uh now hamstrings okay you kind of re-injure it it's still a muscle hopefully it's not something that's gonna be like a years-long problem for you but we also saw like with clay thompson for example it was his left hamstring that he hurt he comes down on that left leg after getting fouled by danny green and if his hamstring is 100 percent, is he able to control that eccentric movement and not tear his acl you know who knows right so you can i think it's more just the the issue of the hamstring now what i could tell is just that like the hamstring is an issue when he's sprinting and so it's that aspect of it but it's not necessarily the like upward explosion aspect of it think of like doing a, the part of the hamstring that's responsible for doing a hamstring curl instead of like a squat or a deadlift or something like that and so he can move okay in short areas it's just like dead sprint up and down the floor that's the problem which is not actually something you have to do that much <laughs> as a basketball player so i don't know i this is this whole wizards organization is about chasing the eighth seed and so he's apparently right on board with with that philosophy and he hasn't had a chance to play in games that matter for a couple of years and that's what guys live for and he deserves a ton of credit for gutting it out i, I just I, i'm not really in a position to know like does he have a larger risk now of a severe injury yes what percentage is that i don't know i i'm sorry if that's not really a particularly compelling answer but i think you just have to come up with all, all the factors as best you can and and leave it up to the player to make the decision you know i think if it's like you know a torn meniscus or like a torn knee ligament or something like that that's an easier call to hold him out or if he just like physically can't move well enough to be effective but if you can play well enough to be effective and it's not something like this knee injury like you know meta world peace or mo harkless or blake griffin had where it could potentially get worse for a muscle injury i all right throw him out there that would probably be my ultimate call i would not have played him on sunday like that's to me you they knew they were in the play-in and yes eight is better than than yeah. 10 which is what, what it turned out being but getting an extra few days and just not having him prep like ramp up for it i think would have been useful but I mean, hopefully that's what you have a medical staff for. And that's actually a little bit of a concern for me is that it seems like the medical staff is whether, what, how much autonomy they had in the process. But I mean, sometimes they give players the choice. They laid it out there. And, and especially after various injuries that have happened recently, and you talked about the links in the chain, I'm so much more skeptical of that. Like, and I'm not saying this happened in this case. I don't believe that it did of the like, oh, it can't, it can't get worse. It's like, yeah, but it can, it can escalate and cascade the risk of something else happening. And that is a very real concern, not only for, Beal and the Wizards, but just kind of in general. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. But yeah, my inclination, as soon as I saw him in the first couple of minutes of that game, I'm like, oh, he doesn't look right. I didn't think he should be on the floor. And he looked better after those first couple of minutes. But 
still the limitations of Snape's Yeah, I actually think the most compelling argument is the one Danny had for not playing, which was, hey, like if he had just not played and then you wait and, and go play against the Pacers who have everybody and their brother not playing right now, uh, I guess Brogdon is going to play. We'll see. We'll see whether he looks the same as, as Beal uh, or not. I think Beal can be more effective than Brogdon on, on a bad hamstring just due to the, the nature of their games. But, uh, you know, to just say, hey, where would he be if he hadn't played Sunday? Would he look a lot better playing at that point? That's a, that's an interesting question. Because ultimately, I mean, you want to actually get to the playoffs and win a series as as opposed to just let's make it in and then lose immediately because Bradley Beal is still too injured, which it's going to be tough for him to continue to heal up if he's playing on that hamstring and just like slightly tearing it when he tries to run up and down the floor and getting a lot of swelling and stuff. Um, all right, that's probably enough on that one, huh? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, Seth, did you have a thought on seeing him play yourself of, of whether that was a good idea or not? Uh, yeah, I, I assume you're, are you a fan of the Wizards or, or are you just kind of watching from afar? Uh, no, I'm not actually a fan of the Wizards, but I, I just, when I was watching it, I was like kind of cringing the whole time, you know, and I was, so was I. I, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Cause I was like, really doesn't look like he should be out there and it's not a must win game. So, so yeah, I think it's just the nature of the injury being a muscle injury as opposed to like a knee or something like that, where maybe, maybe it's different. Um, all right. Do you want to get to the next one here, Danny? Yeah. Chester, you are on the air. Chester, are you there? We will move on, but if I if I see you in the queue, I will I will move you kind of back up to the top of the list if I if I see you pop in. That means Tom, Tom, you are on the air. Hey guys. So uh, after Udonis Haslam uh, came in for three minutes and became the leader in per minute stats with his amazing performance. Um, as I was sort of thinking about how players like him and Jared Dudley on the Lakers are kind of on the end of the bench, but are really just on the team for, you know, locker room and chemistry. And I was wondering as, as these contending teams do a lot more load management in the future, do you think they'll sort of move away from using bench spots for those kind of players and sort of focus more on having players that can soak up minutes in the regular season? So it's a really interesting thought. I mean, so I generally have very strong opinions on Miami's front office. They, they, they're far from perfect. I mean, you could think about the 2017 offseason as a misstep for Riley and everything and, and everything else. But, and like Andy Ellsberg did his cap magic to open up more space to sign bad contracts. But I think that generally speaking, they have been a very good organization. I think the calculus that they are making, which is so fascinating, is that losing a roster spot to so that he can be a different voice within the locker room than he would be as an assistant coach, which is honestly where I think everybody feels this is going for Udonis as, as soon as he retires, is it's one of those circumstances where it's it intuitively it's not the move I would make, but I respect the difference in our perspectives enough and, and the, the heat front office that's like they're doing this for a reason. I don't know exactly what that reason is, but they're doing it for a reason. I know I know a lot of it. But so I, I think that there is some of that. But for me, the bigger decision point is uh, I'll use Alan Smilogich as an example of that. And so if you're a team, especially, I mean, especially in this year where we knew craziness was going to happen due to COVID and availability and how quick the games were, using a roster spot on someone who, even if they play, is not NBA caliber, I think in some ways is a bigger problem than the Udonis Haslam thing where, you know, he could step in and they didn't need him to do that. They had other players for it. But I think you can only, if you're trying to be competitive, and sure, if you're going to be the Thunder, throw all the roster spots you want at guys that you're not sure about. 
But in the case of the Warriors in particular, like that would to me is a bigger issue than Haslam. And but I do think Haslam is a fascinating test case. Yeah, Haslam also to throw in, obviously you, you alluded to this, I think, Danny, but he gave up a lot of money to benefit the organization a, a while ago. I mean, he hasn't actually been a good player since 2011. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. He's been he's been in the league for 10 years after he was last a good player. That's that's pretty crazy. But he they owe money and because uh, he has got uh ducked out of contracts a couple of times to help the organization and they're now taking care of him and obviously you know he is a, a good voice and he'll get in there and knock some heads during practice he's always gonna practice hard etc um but yeah i mean they probably would have won a few more games I, I mean i disagree with you danny that he's uh an acceptable player like they really they played him three minutes the entire season <laughs> so uh, clearly well they would have played him double that if he hadn't gotten ejected yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think also the advent of the two-way slots, and particularly this year when you could play yes. the two-way guys as much as you wanted to, make something like that more tenable. And th- that, uh, and so you still get your developmental cake. And, all- and also you can say this too, that those end-of-the-roster slots with two-ways out there, it's harder to find someone to come in and actually be decent. You can still do it like O'Shea Brissett, for example, with Indiana, who maybe kind of saved their season uh i mean to the extent it could possibly be saved yeah that 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 all makes sense to me i guess maybe the conclusion is just that haslam with the heat is a unique situation and with the two-way players in the future that'll sort of be the new version of the the bench players to fill in when you know when you need to sop up some minutes um it's a quick interjection uh, presumably they're going to switch back to the previous two-way rules so that will become less that will become less enticing for four teams ah. in the future. We'll have to see. Yeah. In 10 years, when Udonis Haslam is still on the Heat active roster, we will we will have this conversation again. Sounds good. <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, so we have... We have about we have about twenty minutes, but we have a bunch of different people in the queue. So we'll try to move a little quicker. I won't say full <laughs> lightning. We'll, just get, we'll, try, we'll, try, we'll try to move a little faster. Uh, Zach, you are on the air. Hi guys, uh, thanks for having me on. I was I've been really enjoying watching the Warriors as of late, uh, post Wiseman injury, and I was wondering what you guys thought, what kind of team you thought they would be had they played this way the whole year, or you know tried to play this way. Yeah, they might be pretty out of gas at this point. I I oh. would say now that maybe they would have just done more resting of Steph and Draymond throughout the season and they would have been more comfortably in their playoff position but I I do think I mean they had to basically have Kavon Looney and Draymond as your only available bigs I think that's tough so I I don't know that you can just extrapolate and say hey if they just didn't have James Wiseman on the team that they would have been the four seed or something like that I I don't know that you can quite go there but I do think it yeah well here's here's what else here's what I'll say I think and if if the Warriors had done with Wiseman what the Hornets did with LaMelo, meaning comes off the bench, and then if he thrives, maybe you think about a bigger spot. I think then they would have picked up an extra couple of wins just because Wiseman would have been playing less and he would have been kicking in now. Whether the confidence is there moving forward, all that type of stuff is different. But yeah, I, I do think though, and and yeah, the Warriors stats, I, I've tweeted this out a couple times, I can't remember the exact numbers. Like the, the, the net rating when it's Looney is the big with Steph and Draymond instead of Wiseman was, the difference was ridiculous. Some of that is sample, just who was on the floor, you know, for the opponents as well and shooting, stuff like that. But also remember like the Warriors... Even at their like at their best, they've been pretty good. They haven't been like this ridiculous team. And then you think about, as Nate said, how much wear that put on them and, and kind of where it fit within the season. So I think they would have been probably in that mix 
with like Dallas and Portland would be my in my inclination because they still would have been playing Wiseman. They probably would have played him a little bit less. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I my thought was more that maybe if they had been, you know, if they had been had this philosophy. But I guess part of uh, what I've heard different people say, too, is that, that they it takes a long time to learn the Warriors the way that they play. So them looking like this at the end of the season wouldn't wouldn't be the case at the beginning of the season, regardless. Yeah, there might be something to that as well. And Steph usually gets better as the season goes along. But I mean, the numbers, Steph Curry on with Draymond Green and James Wiseman off the court, plus 12. 12.5 net rating in 2700 possessions i mean that's it's pretty pretty good numbers and their offense is 122.6 per cleaning the glass at 97th percentile so it is worth noting. the other thing that's somewhat tangential to what you're talking about is they've kind of learned that Draymond green can just play center more than during the dynasty years they were so good it was like all right why bother with Draymond at center this much during the regular season this year they've just they've had to do that because since wiseman went down it's been it's just been looney and draymond and that's it as your centers and so draymond has had to play you know probably at least 50 percent of his minutes at center and they've been awesome with that he's held up during that period now would they have done that if they were expecting to make a deep playoff run maybe not but that's an interesting determination going forward of how much is their plan going to be for draymond to play center in regular season lineups going forward oh we can reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do a quick thing from the notes. I think this is a worthwhile one from uh, Zach Davari that Porzingis missed roughly three and a half games in that series against the Clippers last year. He got ejected from one. That's why it's a little bit complicated. Um, that's true. That is, that is a, a consideration, but I think the Clippers personnel is actually better this year. And remember also like Montrez Harrell wasn't right in the bubble. And we'll see what, what avail, what capacity Serge Ibaka has, but I would say relative to where they were last year, I think the Clippers are in a better place and the Mavericks are in a little bit worse of a place, but we can move on to, uh, Mike, Mike, you are on the air. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, just thinking about Ben Simmons, really a big Sixers fan, and just becoming really frustrated with his uh, lack of uh, willingness to take jump shots. And it, it has me thinking about, like, how much do you think within the team and the organization is, like, really pushing that? And then also uh, just thinking about, like, potential trades. I know you guys always talk about the fact that, uh, you know, trading, like, a player like, hit, like him is difficult to do because you're not going to really be able to get players of equal value. But do you think maybe uh, with their pursuit of Kyle Lowry in the offseason, they could kind of do something maybe build around Kyle Lowry and OG Ananobi? And what do you guys think of something like that? So I I think that Simmons' fit with the theoretical Raptors is is a challenging one if the idea is that he's going to play with Siakam. Because while Siakam doesn't need to have the ball in his hands all the time, like I actually like Siakam better as a kind of a secondary initiator. Simmons is not a great fit because then you kind of think about the spacing, the defense would be, you know, would be really tantalizing there. And OG's contract, like even though Simmons, you know, his upside is higher and you could say his expected value is higher than OG, OG and Novi makes basically one third the money. Um, which is which is potentially important there, especially if the Raptors want to change course. So I I think it, it, if you incidentally if you were to, to do a Simmons thing involving Lowry, it might actually be even moving Simmons to a third team 
and then using whether that's the trade exception or there are a couple different ways you could structure it to make that happen. That's that's my inclination. Like I do think Simmons could end up in a different team's uniform. It wouldn't stun me if Daryl Morey went that direction, but I don't think the Raptors are the right right suitor. Nate, do you agree with me? Uh, quick clarification: OGN and OB going forward makes almost exactly half of what Ben Simmons does. Half, uh, okay. Seventeen million versus thirty-three million, and yeah, that's that's a tough one. They've already got Thibel as well, and Anobi to me probably has less value on the Sixers than any other team because Anobi is awesome at switching and defending in isolation. He's much better in that type of a scheme than I think he is uh, the Sixers scheme, which is always going to be some sort of a more conventional pick and roll defense with Embiid and you know I think he helps more than Simmons if you're putting him in that Simmons role you know that that makes some sense I don't know that he's actually as good chasing guys around screens as Ben Simmons is although he's a better ISO guy I think you're always gonna make the primary target for Ben Simmons being a a solid pick and roll creator that's I, I wouldn't want to move Ben Simmons unless that sort of player became available I don't think awesome thanks guys Thank you. Let's keep let's keep the questions going. And uh, Thomas, Thomas, you are in the air. Thomas, you there? Okay. Well, that actually opens up. Uh, Chester, who was on earlier, uh, popped in. So we'll see. Chester, I'm going to try you again now. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, well, Nate in particular has received quite a lot of heat for some of the things you said about Zion Williamson. So I'll maybe try and give you a slightly easier one, which is uh, where do you expect him to be when you do the prospect rankings next year? Seems like he's probably going to be in a second tier by himself. Do you see him having any of chance of catching up with Luca? Probably not, especially, I mean, if Luca just has like a terrible playoffs or something and then Zion goes absolutely crazy. We usually do that in like December in a normal year and Zion is just going crazy and the Pels are, you know, have a better record than the Mavs, then maybe I could see it. Uh, but yeah, what are you referring to on like the getting getting the heat for the comments about Zion, that he's unhappy there or, or that he's not, yeah. Yeah, the, the unhappiness stuff there uh some people in the discord aren't so happy with you about that and presumably on twitter too but what do you well do? i i mean I, I can explain myself i'm i'm fine with with getting the heat particularly uh, if it's if it's respectful um so i mean that's just my best guess like if you ask me is zion williamson happy in new orleans based on all the factors i would say no and i would base that on his agency having clearly a big problem with david griffin i would base that on the fact that he had this awesome season but the acquisitions that they brought in were all bad and have not helped them at all and and were big time dead weight uh, that they didn't end up really being competitive in the end i would base that on things that i hear behind the scenes and most importantly, I would base it on David Griffin's own actions, where he went out of his way to say something that was obviously and completely disprovable and ridiculous as what I would say is a misguided ex- effort to just prove like how much he loves Zion and how much he's standing up for him. And then, of course, you could also throw in Zion's own comments uh, about New York, where he says, yes, I'm glad you asked me that question about whether I like to play in New York. And oh, by the way, I absolutely love MSG. Despite the fact that he like played there once in college going into that game uh, in on like a neutral court situation, like it wasn't even really with fans. And also, I mean, recall that there was all this hope that he was going to go to New York in the lottery that ended up not happening. His buddy RJ Barrett is there instead. I'm sure they talk quite a bit about what it's like to be in New York. And so you know there there was a feeling so so those are the reasons i think i I can't remember ever a young star who was this early on in his career being like 
batting his eyes at another market like that. I mean, this, that is pretty unique. And it's not, I'm not the only one to say this, by the way. There are plenty of other respected commentators who have remarked uh, on all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of people in small markets of New Orleans is this, this is now the third time maybe that we're going through this after Chris Paul and Anthony Davis. Like, oh, you're biased against small markets. You want guys to go to big markets. No, it's that when really good players are on teams that are not building around them very well, which I think most people would agree is the case so far for the Pelicans, they end up wanting out. I don't expect Zion Williamson to not be a Pelican for, you know, until maybe seven or eight years into his career. I'll be clear about that because just the system is set up for him to want to get his money and stay there. And none of these rookies, no matter how dissatisfied they are, have ever really forced their way out. Um, if I were advising him and he were unhappy, I would say, yeah, you probably should try to force your way out. Why not? Like you can, should be able to use your leverage to go work where you want to work if this organization isn't working for you. But yeah, it's, it's nothing to do with market size. It has to do with the fact that the team around him is underperforming. Oh, and by the way, there are probably like seven or eight different data points that indicate that he's not particularly happy there right now. I'm not, to be clear, I'm not predicting that he's not going to be a Pelican two years from now. I would probably predict he's not going to be a Pelican six years from now so that that's where i stand and uh hopefully that's uh that's clear enough for some people and you know we've been through this with every well, and- every small market unhappy star and bradley beal is basically the only one who has ever stuck around and lillard's teams have been more successful than uh, than we're yeah. looking necessarily for it's zion's. one thing if you're um, making the playoffs every year yeah then that'll be something worth keeping on and i'll say on this on the zion point i if I had to predict it right now, I'd say he'll probably be second tier because he might pass the, you know, be him alone, trust that the offense that you can build a great offense around him. But also Zion we'll see what his defensive limitations look like another year in. And I don't I don't necessarily trust his availability as much as as much as Luca, though I'm thrilled at how much Zion played this year. And when you're defensively limited and you're taller, or at least you have to when you're more limited positionally, then that means the team has to solve it more ways. So like it's just he's not as plug and play in many ways as Luca is. But while Zion's an unbelievable talent, I will not foreclose any possibility for him because that's how that's how good he is. But we can move on to uh, Shelby. Shelby, you are on the air. Hello? Yes. What, what Hello? do you got for us, Shelby? Oh, sorry. Um, hi, uh, you guys do such a great job holding ownership accountable for teams. And I just kind of felt uh, <laughs> like with how open the whole title race is this year that the Nuggets should kind of be getting blasted a little bit more. Um, what do you guys have to say? Think about What do you guys think about that? Yes. I mean, <laughs> there... It, it, ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA. And the big, a big reason why is because even though it's not like they would have had a ridiculous capacity to spend significantly more to add to this team using, you know, like really going all out with the mid level exception, going, you know, being able to do certain upgrades, not having to, you know, I'd be mean, great. They were able to kind of get off of Gary Harris in that deal. That makes the Nuggets materially worse. Now, that isn't as much an issue for this. It is an issue for this year. Like, it makes the Nuggets worse. I'm far, far, far more concerned about what it means for them in 2023. When Aaron Gordon is on a new contract with them or elsewhere, Michael Porter Jr. is on a new contract, and Jokic and Murray are on the same contracts. And if the Cronkies are owning the team and not willing to spend at that point, then, I mean, I mean, it's already, I'm already incredulous about it, but it will be a whole different thing because then we'll be talking, we'll be having a conversation about how they, you know, really sidetrack, kneecap the team. And, and yes, maybe Tim Connolly and his front office can get around that. Maybe they can overcome parts of it, but that's, that's the, the siren that's been going off in my head since Michael Porter Jr. had his star turn. Right. I was just thinking like, you know, Jeremy Grant, 
they could have paid more to keep him and and that would increase like their title odds by like maybe three to five percent which is significant yeah right? it, well it could but he, he it's pretty clear considering they offered the same money and were a better team that he didn't want to be there and i i mean yeah maybe an extra of three four million a year would have done it but he chose to he chose a specific role and i mean generally speaking you're not asking for the team that is a you know a, a fringe title contender to out to outbid the team that is on the like on that ended up being one of the worst teams in the league this year that's fair okay well thanks guys oh thanks shelby that was great any chance i have to rail on ownership i i I generally support it uh so let's go to justin justin you are on the air oh i'm not a huge fan of hypothetical rules after a while it starts to sound like what if everyone did a backflip before a free throw but thinking about player and team evaluation would it be worth exploring ways to make the regular season a better facsimile of a playoff so maybe putting more emphasis on season series and specifically incentivizing winning each season series like it would involve some type of point system but it would contrive more must-win games and mid um mid-series adjustments wouldn't you think so i think that the, they're always going to be different when you can think i mean this came up earlier in this conversation about game plans and everything else to me the way that the regular season should be more like the playoffs is that there should be fewer games in the regular season and thus one of the important differences that we have to deal with and and sure there are always going to be availability issues but if there were fewer games in the regular season the best players could play a higher proportion of their team's minutes so you wouldn't have to be as judicious about everything else now maybe teams wouldn't do that as aggressively maybe you would only do that in special circumstances you wouldn't necessarily see it but if you if there were no back-to-backs i think you could see stars minutes per game even with the education that we've had on the dangers of it i think you could see that creep up maybe like three four minutes a game and that fundamentally changes a lot of stuff and that's part of why star talent matters so much more in the playoffs is because they're playing a higher proportion of the minutes yep no arguments there yeah yeah um and i'm with you i was thinking like if you played each team in your conference uh three game series and each opposite team in a conference twice that would actually equal 72 and maybe if you award points for winning a series or you lose points for getting swept um i don't know it'd be fun like thinking about like oh on february 22nd it's game two of lakers grizzlies can the lakers wrap up their series and win three points i don't know but yeah you're absolutely right i mean there's a lot of other factors that influence um how the season can be evaluated like the playoffs for sure i think it would also just the the whole points thing might just get a little bit too complex for the average fan potentially when you also just have the overall win-loss record it's you know in soccer obviously it's easier because you just have points and that's it but if you have this parallel point system and you also have just one loss i think that might get a little more difficult for fans to understand okay we're probably gonna have to end soon because we're gonna watch we're gonna watch them play in basketball not post not not playoff basketball play in basketball but we'll go to jared first jared you are on the air (coughs) hey guys um i was wondering um um, uh, my question is, uh, which players on rookie scale contracts um, are you most uh, interested in seeing this postseason? And I'll kind of hedge my bet for, uh, a minute uh, or a little bit by by saying if if your answer is Trey Young, then um, who who would your second be? Luka Doncic. Um, no, nah, that, that that's a boring one too. It kind of kind of lower scale oh, I, ones. All right, sorry. Uh, um, Mik- Mikhail yeah, yeah, Bridges so, uh, is a really interesting one. Yes, uh, to see how he's going to hold up in that stopper role is he really elite in his first playoffs that's the first one that comes to mind for me well i'll I'll give you a a high another high leverage one dante divincenzo he's gonna have he's gonna have a lot to do for the bucks let's see um 
technically Kennard's still on his rookie scale contract. He has an extension, yeah, but he's well, not well, on I, it yet. I'm, I'm interested to see how we won't actually be seeing him <laughs> very much. Yeah, that that's a dist- that's a distinct possibility. So yeah, R- R.J. Barrett w- will be an interesting one. John ja- ja Morant as well. We don't know how long we're gonna we don't know how long we're gonna see yeah. him, but we'll, we'll we'll definitely get that. Uh, about uh, Jordan Poole, that'd be interesting. Yeah, is, is he just gonna get attacked defensively a, a ton? That can he still be look like he's a quality six man even in the playoffs? But Bridges is the number one. For RJ, me, I'd say. yeah, Bridges. RJ Barrett is gonna have yeah. a gonna I have a real opportunity. To think of somebody else. No, <laughs> Matisse Thybul. If he you know if he comes back from this hand swelling thing, I mean th- th- he might have some high leverage minutes for the Sixers. We'll have yeah. to see. Looks like the they're line. about to start here. By the way. All right, we should probably we should probably wrap this up. Yep, absolutely. So thank you so much to everybody for for joining us, and we will be back. Uh, keep an keep an eye on our Twitter feeds. We, you you might see us before next Tuesday. There's a pretty decent chance. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 